Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 265. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29th through October 1st. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech. Lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Sally Taylor. She is the SCORES Vice President at FICO. I want to get Sally on the show because there's just a lot of activity happening in with credit scores this year with the pandemic and the forbearance programs. Sally has decades of experience on credit scores, so I wanted to really get her perspective on what this all means, what historical precedent we can look at when it comes to credit scores. And she does she does give some um, really great ideas, great solutions there. Also wanted to talk about the new product that FICO released earlier this year called the, the FICO Resilience Index. It's very pertinent right now because what it really does is it helps lenders understand consumer sensitivity to economic stress. And let's face it, the consumer, many consumers are under considerable stress today. And this allows lenders to really continue to lend confident in the fact that this 680 FICO now is going to be a 680 FICO in six months time or in 12 months time. And so we go into that in a lot of depth, uh, talk about how it's built and, and what it really means. We also talk about uh, data science in general. We also talk about what Sally is finding most interesting today. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sally. Thank you for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So I like to get these things started by giving the listeners a little bit of background. And I, and I went to your LinkedIn profile and I see that you have spent your entire career at FICO. So why don't you just right. tell me a little bit about how your career has progressed there? Sure, sure. I am a veteran of over 30 years in the credit industry and, and the industry of analytics and data science. I started as a data scientist straight out of, of school with my statistics degree in Berkeley and I was part of the uh, original management team of the FICO scores. This would have been about 30 years ago. We just celebrated the 30-year anniversary of the FICO scores. And I led the product management and marketing team. So I was uh, part of a lot of the adoption and the, the early years of designing and redesigning the, the FICO scores. And then I've, uh, as you said, I've continued to work at, at FICO. I was a I headed a product management for FICO scores for about 10 years. I've done other things at FICO, including managing other software products and so forth. And about five years ago, returned to the scores team to head up the B2B scores team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then how, how revolutionary was it? I imagine, you know, we take it for granted now because everyone knows about mm-hmm. FICO scores, but like how revolutionary was it at the time? Did you, did you know that you were going to be changing credit forever? We knew we were going to be changing credit, but I don't think we expected everything that you know came came down after. 
So we knew what was revolutionary is that by building a score, a credit score, through using the data at the CRA, we were building a model that leveraged the experience of all lenders, right? Whereas before that, what was common, and it's still common, is that lenders have their own custom models, right. the proprietary models, that they develop using their own historical experience. But what the FICO scores did was it allowed every lender, not just the large ones, because that, that, at the time it was mainly the large lenders that used analytics like credit scoring. It allowed even you know, medium-sized lenders and small lenders to take advantage of the tool that allowed them to manage risk better, but also you know, lend in a more fair way and make credit more fair and accessible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that certainly has done. And now, I mean, I know that it's been, a, you know, it's, it's got into the, the general population. I mean, most people now have some, some idea of what their credit score is. That certainly wasn't the case uh, exactly. you know, even, I think, 10 or 20 years ago. So let's just talk about the credit scores today because it feels like there's been some, um, you know, so this has been a challenging year, let me say. I mean, it's, I mean, you've had a long career at FICO and I'm sure you've never seen a year like this before. So tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about scores today, given the, given sort of, you know, the unusual nature of what we're going through. Right. The, it, it's still a little too early to know the full impact, right, of this economy. And I mean, we're still fairly early into it. And when it comes to credit scores that are derived off of using, you know, data at the CRA, there's a lag before information hits the, the credit reports. Mm-hmm. So we're just just starting to see some of the, the trends there in terms of accommodations and, and so forth. But I think it's helpful to look back, since we've been doing FICO scores for 30 years, we've, we have the experience of looking at FICO scores after the fact, during after the Great Recession, after natural disasters like Hurricane Harvey, and we learned a few things from that. One is that you know credit scores still rank order. So the point of a credit score is rank ordering. It's not intended to be a point predictor of risk. It's not 680 means you know exactly this default rate. But what happens is is as the economy shifts, you know goes through cycles. That, that relationship between the default rate and the score will shift over time. So, for example, in the Great Recession, it pretty much doubled across the board, delinquency doubled across the board, whether they were high scoring or low scoring. But we still saw that the scores rank ordered, that the people who scored higher performed better than the ones who scored lower and so forth. So credit managers, especially those who've been through economic cycles, are fully aware of this pattern. So they know that they need to monitor very carefully and really understand what's happening in segments with this particular economic downturn. But, you know, number one, scores still rank order. There will be shifts in the odds to score. And the other thing we've learned from the, you know, past economic impacts is that overall scores don't shift quite as much as as people expect them to. Right. Um, there will be some where their scores go lower because, you know, they were you know, personally impacted. However, as an overall, I mean, the scores look at a lot more than just recent delinquency, right? They look at the whole history. They look at balances. They look at how you manage your credit overall. So it's not as much of an impact as people think. And, uh, and we've seen that from, from the past. 
Right, right. So then, uh, but what about the you know? Right now, there's there's all sorts of forbearance programs that are that are happening. Pretty much mm-hmm. every single lender has had some kind of forbearance. Some of them are running their course now. But given that that they were not allowed to report the you know someone may have been uh, delinquent, but in in a forbearance program, so they were not reported to the bureau. So their score was unchanged. They may, they may have lost their job. They may have no savings. They may be living off credit cards. So, so how do you how do you sort of factor in the forbearance um, programs into scores? Mm-hmm. So, in terms of how the forbearance programs, you know, how the score reads the forbearance programs, the score is really looking purely at the status, the delinquency status, and so forth. So, if the lender is doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? If they're following, say, the CARES Act and and other guidance, if they make an accommodation, they should report it as as paid as agreed, right? So they shouldn't report it as delinquent based on what the original, you know, agreement was. It should right. be based on what the accommodation is. And so that really, that should not impact the FICO score at all. And even if they put in a code that indicates that there's a forbearance, the FICO score doesn't look at that code. Okay. Um, and there's a very good reason why it doesn't look at that code. That code is generally only there during the time of the disaster, right, during the, the, the time of the event. And so, you know, if we factor that information in, then at some point that code's going to come off and then there's going to be this huge, you know, shift in scores if we were to actually, you know, look at that code or interpret that code to mean, you know, this person shouldn't be delinquent even though it says they're delinquent. So it's really important for lenders to actually report the status the way they have agreed in the accommodation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what, what do you think your take is on the overall health of the consumer today? I mean, we know the government programs have run mm-hmm. their course. It seems that there's not going to be, there's not much movement in Washington right now for a new stimulus package. You know, we're obviously less than two months from the election. So that factors into it. But given that, you know, the, the unemployment programs, the stimulus check, they're now all in the past and you know, more than a month uh, has gone by since they've, they've ended. What's your take on the consumer today? Right. And again, it's too early for us to have a read. We just recently received kind of snapshots of, of data that will show the very earliest reads of, you know, the uh, amount that are under accommodation and so forth. So, and we're preparing that information actually to uh, present later in at Lendit. So um, Dave Schellenberger from FICO is yep. actually presenting on um, September 30th in the consumer lending track. And so he'll, he'll be prepared to share what we're seeing in this very early snapshots of you know, how the FICO scores and the FRI scores, which we'll be talking about, right. will be, are, are performing. Right. Well, we look, we look forward to that. And thanks for the plug there. So <laughs> let's, well, let's talk about the, you, you, just, you just touched on it. So I want to talk about the FICO Resilience Index, which you, I'm sure when you were probably putting this together, you had no idea there was a pandemic that was going to hit and it was going to become a, a very important uh, piece of uh, information for, for lenders. So, so maybe, maybe we can start by just talking about the origins of, of, this, uh, of the FICO Resilience Index. Sure, sure. You're right. We had no idea that around the time we were launching this, we would be heading into a a pandemic. However, we knew, as every credit risk manager knows, that there will be economic cycles, you know, that will continue, ups and downs, you know, that lenders need to manage to. 
So we've actually been working on various types of solutions related to managing through economic cycles for, for decades. And so this particular solution, the FICO Resilience Index, came about because credit managers, typically, even in a benign economy, they have to factor in the fact that at some point, there will be an economic downturn. And so, you know, they, they actually price that risk in, even when the economy is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So what we've, we've had credit risk managers ask, we, we know that when the economy turns down, there will be higher risk at every score band, right? Just as was said before, in the Great Recession, it was about double the default rate in every score band. Can you tell me which of the 680s are the <laughs> ones that are going to go bad? And so we set out to answer exactly that question. We researched, can we tell from, you know, benign economy to, uh, you know, to a recession, can we tell the type of consumer that would perform very similarly in the two scenarios versus the ones that would perform very differently and be far uh, more sensitive to being in a recession. And that's exactly what the cycle resilience index looks at. Okay. So, so maybe can, can we dig into that a little bit and talk about how, because as mm-hmm. you say, like not all 680s are, are created equal and this, and this is trying to address right. that very issue. So, what kinds of things are you looking at that really will give you that indicator? Yeah, so what we're seeing is, first of all, the FICO Resilience Index looks at the same underlying data as a FICO score. It looks at the information on the consumer's credit report. It just looks at it differently, and it's designed differently. It's designed to predict a different outcome. It's designed to predict who's likely to be very different in a recession than they are in in a benign economy, right? So, which we call sensitive to the the economy as opposed to resilient to the the financial stress. So, it looks at the credit report. It is used in conjunction with a FICO score, right? Because it doesn't, you still need the FICO score to tell you what range of risk it's in. But as you point out, if somebody is 680, there's more than one path to 680. There are different ways that someone can be a 680. And what we see is the ones that are more resilient have more experience with credit. They aren't taking up a lot of new credit. They might have some delinquencies. Delinquencies really doesn't have as much of a play in the resilience index as it does in the FICO score. So it's really about how one manages credit um, that tells how resilient they will be in, in, in that downturn. So the more sensitive ones will have uh, more newly opened trades, less uh, variety of credit, just because they just have less experience with credit. Right. Okay. So I presume you back tested this like in like reset, like the 08, 09 recession data. So you can see mm-hmm. that this, you obviously, you have all that, you have all the data, I imagine going back decades. So so you know, when you have you know a recession and you said then with the data is still is still out we will know in a couple of years or even next year much more information about this current recession but let's just go back to 0809 and um, so when you put all that information through the resilience index like what's the difference is it a 680 going down to a 610 or a 680 going down to a 675 is that is that kind of like what is the what, what's sort of the, the level of outcomes that the resilience index will give you? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the resilience index, first of all, it scales from one to 99, mm -hmm. right? Just to keep it so that it doesn't look anything like a FICO score. And it's also the, the reverse in terms of scales. So lower is better. So one is the most resilient score you can get and 99 is the most sensitive score you can get. And what we do is we look at it in conjunction with the FICO score. So we look at it within small bands of the FICO score. And so, you know, it's exactly as, as you say, what, what we see is in, in a benign economy, we actually don't see any difference within a FICO score band based on the resilience index, because what the resilience index is measuring is this latent risk. It doesn't manifest itself. It doesn't show up until there's a recession. Right. So if you look in a good economy, you're going to see that the rank ordering of the FICO score, and then within the FICO score bands, you're not going to see any rank ordering of the FRI. But when you go into a recession, you see, again, you'll see the rank ordering of the FICO scores. But within the, the, within the FICO score bands, you'll see a rank ordering of the FRI, where depending on how extreme the recession is, to your point, the, the differences could be, like, say, the most sensitive uh, person could, could be like a 60-point, 80-point difference in what their FICO score would, would indicate, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the odds of repayment are significantly higher to the tune of what would be like a 60 or 80-point FICO score. And we actually have benchmarking reports that come out of the overall data. So lenders can actually see what, what we mean of what happens. And the benchmarking reports are set to the Great Recession, just to give a sense. Okay. What we tested and validated on you know, other economic kind of more minor downturns, and you still see that rank ordering of the FRI. It's just not as dramatic as we saw with the Great Recession. Right. To your point, now that we are currently you know, in a recession and, um, you know, not sure how long it's going to, to last. This is a time for lenders to, you know, um, actually monitor what's happening in this particular recession to see how, you know, dramatic the, the, the difference is compared to, say, other recessions or the Great Recession. Right, right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the lenders because I imagine mm -hmm. you know, a lot of lenders, you know, a lot of them sort of, really scaled back their lending at the start of this, but now they're, you know, they, they want to start ramping up, but, you know, they're, they're, they're hesitant and they're conservative and, and, you know, they might have a credit box that goes down to, you know, 660 or whatever, but are you seeing them saying, right, we will still want to lend to 660, but we want, we want to lend to 660 with a, with a resilience of like one to five or one to 10. Is that, maybe you just take a step back and say, what are you, what, what feedback are you receiving? What, how are people using it? What's, yeah. uh, what are the lenders doing? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the interest from lenders has been phenomenal. So, you know, even in a good economy, as we spoke about, they have to price for risk. And, you know, now that we're in the situation that we're in now, as lenders do pull back and contract, what the FICO resilience index can allow them to do is to maybe keep credit flowing better than they otherwise would have. So, you know, if they're pulling back from, say, a 640 to, say, a 700, what the resilience index allows them to do is to say, well, you know, maybe between the 640 and 700, I can still retain or, or continue to approve those most resilient 
in, in that band. So they don't have to contract credit as much as they otherwise would have been. So, so that's really the way the lenders are looking at it. Whenever there's a new tool in the market, lenders, they test it. Right. right. They're not going sure. to, they're, they're analysts, right? They're, they're data scientists and they're not going to, you know, completely use it without, you know, testing it first, validating it, really understanding how, you know, what the patterns look like and, and maybe starting to test in, you know, just small percentages of the population just to see what happens. So that's the, that's the mode that lenders are in now. We have hundreds of lenders who are, you know, taking the, the scores both in archive reports as well as, you know, ongoing to monitor. And, you know, it's, it's a time where they can really look to see how it impacts kind of the early results that they're seeing through the recession. Right. So I imagine, I mean, I'd love to, are you getting far more interest than you expected when you first put this out there? Because I, I can't imagine anyone not wanting to use this at this particular time, unless you've really got a, a reason to, you know, specifically that you just want to maintain super prime or whatever, but um, even then, you know, you might could use it. So are you, are you seeing more interest than expected? Absolutely. A- absolutely. And, and, and the resilience index is really, we, we don't view it as a re- recession only product, right. right? Because you can actually manage your portfolio in a benign economy so that you can weather the next recession better. We've shown in our validations that even though that, that ranking with the FRI doesn't show up until you're in a recession, you can still predict it well before the recession. So you can look at FRI scores, you know, years before, a few years before, and then look at the performance once the you know, economy turns down and see that it rank orders, even though you would not have seen it before, you know, in a, in, in a short period of time, just because uh, it was a benign economy. So, so we don't view it as just a recession-only product, but absolutely, uh, especially in that whole use case of, well, maybe we don't have to contract as much as we do, or maybe as things start to look better, we can be a little bit more aggressive with the more resilient ones. They're looking at it both in terms of, you know, just, you know, managing that contraction as well as starting to, you know, open up again. Right, right. Yeah, that, I, I get that. That makes sense. So then, one thing I'm I, I'm curious about though is, you know, you've got the three the three credit reporting agencies that, you know, you know, different lenders use different subsets of those. How does the FICO resilience score? Do, do you are you on board with all three agents? With because you know they got the FICO score is you know my FICO score is slightly different at Experian than it is at TransUnion than it is mm-hmm. at, uh, at uh, Equifax. But can you explain just how you're how how it's interfacing with the agencies? Sure. We will be at all three CRAs in, in the near future. So it's already available at Equifax and Experian, but will be available at all three. We do recommend that it's pulled alongside the FICO score. So wherever you get your FICO score, you get your FRI score. And that way, you know, it's scoring the same information. It's just looking at it from the two different perspectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So then, yeah, there's been some talk in the industry over the year, over the last few years, and I remember we we had a session at Lendit many years ago to that refuted this. But I wanted, I'd love to get your take on it when you when you hear you know a fintech lender saying we go beyond the FICO score. Mm-hmm. Firstly, what do you think, and how do you kind of react to that? What is the what is that um, 
fintech lender not understand about the FICO score? Sure, yeah. So the FICO scores were never intended to be used as a sole determination of risk. Right. You know, even 30 years ago, every lender would ask information, uh, what we call application information, right, that the consumer would fill out, in addition to pulling a credit report. And the FICO score was designed to very conveniently be available on that credit report and did not replace those broader models, usually custom models that look across the board. So it was never intended to, to be, you know, solely looked at. Having said that, I, I think what a lot of the, the fintechs are, are saying is, you know, there's now more, you know, there's technology available that gives lenders access to data that, you know, they don't necessarily have to ask for. It's not their proprietary data that they know about the customer, but they can get alternative data, you know, maybe consumer permission data that, you know, that where, where the consumer puts in the credentials to say their checking savings account. And we can use that information as well. And we're absolutely in agreement. In fact, uh, in 2016, we launched the FICO score XD, which in partnership with Equifax and LexisNexis looks at, you know, information off of Equifax's NCTUE database, which looks at how you manage your uh, telco bills and utility bills, as well as information from LexisNexis you know, uh, more, you know, property type of information there. So that was aimed at that 53 million consumers that are not represented at the major credit bureaus in the U.S. because they don't have a history of credit. Right. So, so, so we're in absolute agreement that in order to expand and give lenders, you know, the ability to give uh, access to credit to more people that we need to look at more information. So the XD score did that in 2016 and in 2018, we launched the ultra FICO score and the ultra FICO score, you know, is think of it more like a second chance score, right? Somebody applies for credit and their FICO score, you know, either they don't have one or perhaps they are, you know, a little bit low. They're, they're, they're below their, the threshold. And, the ultra FICO score allows the lender to offer up the ability for that consumer to pull in their cash flow data from their checking and savings accounts and evaluates that in addition to what's in their credit report. So they have other ways of showing their financial responsibility. So, you know, financial inclusion is really important. It's, it's very important to us. We launched in 2016, the, uh, FICO Financial Inclusion Initiative to really test out the various types of alternative data that can be used to give make credit more accessible to more people. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, before I let you go, a couple more couple more questions I, I'm curious about, and that this is you know mm-hmm. like when you started in this in this space, data science wasn't really a a thing. It wasn't a term. And now, and now, right, every- it wasn't. <laughs> and now I was everyone- called a programmer manager. <laughs> program manager was my title. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, now you'd be a data scientist and, and, and people like people now like to tout how they're, they use uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and they have a, a large team of data scientists that are building proprietary models that are the most advanced that have ever, that have ever been created. But like, I'd love to get your take on what you think about that whole, that whole thing. And then, but, but then seriously about, you know, FICO has been doing, you know, been doing machine learning for, for decades, right? So tell us a little bit about how you, how you do things internally and how you feel about the, the, the latest craze. 
<laughs> so overall, it's it's great, right? I mean, you're talking to the pioneers, you know, one of the pioneers who believe that you can make much better business decisions if you use modeling and, you know, use predictive modeling, mathematical optimization, and other aspects of what we call decision science, right, which is the discipline around improving your decisions over time for better business results and, and better results for the ecosystem and for consumers and everyone alike. So it's great that that's catching on. It's great that that's catching on, not just in credit, um, where it's been caught on for, for decades, but in many other fields. So, you know, we're, we're quite happy about that. We, we do... You know, some of the hype, sometimes we think, well, that's, that's kind of funny because you're right. Artificial intelligence has been around for a while. Machine learning has been around for a while. And, you know, there are a lot of people that are just newly discovering it. And there are great new techniques. I think probably the, the bigger impacts have been just the increased computing power, right? And as well as more digitized data. Um, those things really transform as, as you have more digitized data available to you, that's really what transforms the ability to use these models and, and, and you know, help them make, make better decisions over time. So it's been great to be kind of, you know, at this perch, watch, watching all of this happen. <laughs> we do, there's a little bit of, you know, artificial intelligence as kind of the, the, the method of, of the algorithm versus you know, we use for something like FICO scores, we use a method that is highly, highly explainable. We know, you know, artificial intelligence is getting more and more towards explainable, but it's not quite where, you know, our, our needs are. And for something like a FICO score where consumers, you know, monitor their FICO scores, you know, as frequently as, you know, once a month, you know, often they, and, and, and we need to be able to explain why the score changed the way it did we stick to the very highly explainable methods, but you know, there are other things we do at FICO like detecting fraud and so forth, where we've been you know, more like neural networks and, and other types of methods from, from the very beginning. So it's important to bring the right tool to the right you know, circumstances, but all, all of that should be available. And even with the FICO scores, we use plenty of you know, machine learning and AI as, as part of our research, the way right. we kind of look through through the data and try to identify patterns and test new concepts and see what works. We use it all of the time. But then the final model that, you know, is actually programmed at the at the credit bureaus is a very explainable model because that's what we need for this particular instance. Right, right. Okay, then. So last question then, um, without giving away any secrets, what, what are you working on today that is interesting and exciting? Well, so, you know, uh, a lot of what we're doing is in the, the US, but we're also international. And one thing that we can do internationally is, you know, sometimes, you know, we've tested data sources, for example, internationally, that would be harder to do in the US, it's more, more regulated and just more, more developed in terms of what what lenders do. And so, for example, you know, um, we're working with a telco company right now in sub-Saharan Africa to offer um, microloans through their payments system, right? So, you know, this is, this is countries where, you know, not only do you have uh, people who are not represented at a credit bureau, they're completely unbanked. 
and you know they used to just use cash but but more and more they use their their telephones to transact through through a mobile payment system and and this partner is actually has a platform where they invite lenders to offer microloans to those through that payment system and um, and now FICOScore along with it so that you know lenders can gauge that that risk, assess the risk and and open up to that particular market. So that's very exciting because you know it's it, we're talking kind of microloans and that blurry line between you know consumers who are actually you know, getting a small loan for their livelihoods, right? They, right. they, you know, purchase some uh, fruit in the morning and then, you know, sell, sell the fruit juice in the afternoon type, type of situation. So, uh, so that's very exciting. And, and, you know, we found that, you know, telco data that can be accessed in multiple ways is, is very predictive of, of risk. And so we, you know, look for those opportunities in, in many countries. Right. Interesting. Really fascinating. Sally, I could talk for you for a lot longer, but we'll have to leave it there. I I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much. Okay. See ya. You know, it's safe to say that consumer lending has gone through a, a very tumultuous period, certainly the, the most tumultuous period since the 08-09 crisis and probably the most uh, on record for, for these lenders. And you know, what you hear from the chief risk officers, from the CEOs of these, of these lending platforms, that they're all starting to ramp up. Some have ramped up to pre-pandemic levels already. Most are, are still not quite there yet. And they all talk about a conservative approach to their underwriting as they ramp up. And what the FICO Resilience Index does, it gives the, these lenders the confidence that the borrowers who are coming to their platform are going to be resilient, even if we have a deeper recession, a longer recession than what anyone expects, these people will be able to pay back their loans as they are demonstrated to be resilient in in uh, difficult times. So uh, it's it's a real it's a great credit to the industry. It's great timing that uh, this is this has uh, been made available this year. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29 through October 1st. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA.